Welcome to Two Rivers, Two Takes. We are back today with another episode, and this time we have Philip in the driver's seat. So I'm going to sit back, I'm going to learn some stuff, and probably ask many, many questions. So Philip, why are we here today? Today we are here to talk all about world building. It's a word that comes up a lot when people discuss Robert Jordan's books, that he's created such an intricate setting for all the characters, all the plot points. Um, so we're going to delve into a little bit of it, get some reactions, get some of our feels out, um, and just go from there. All right, so how are we going to kick this off? So there's a lot going on in these stories. So where do you want to begin even? Where do you begin? I think it all starts with the one power from the source. Um, so you have... and. Source is capital S, source. Yes. And one power is capital O, capital P, one power. Yes. Okay. Not to be confused with the comic book store, hashtag support your local comic book store. Um, so men and women could channel the one power, and there was a female side, Sadar, a male side, Sadine, um, that they would each pull from. And way back when, in Age of Legends, they said that the most wondrous things were created using both sides of the power working together. Um, well, that's nice. I mean, nice symmetry. But how long ago are we talking with the Age of Legends? Roughly 2,000 years. And a lot has happened between where the current story kicks off and the Age of Legends. So in the books, you get a little bit of a flashback in the TV series. That would be great, because that opening sequence sets up a lot for who the dragon is, why do people fear the dragon reborn, is it literally going to be Luce there and Telamon coming back again? Um, and Amazon today released a short video showing that there's going to be special features as well that people can access for some animated backstory, so we're not sure what they're going to go into, or how long these little mini-episodes are with that. Um, it looks really exciting. Maybe they'll have um, some of the things that you mentioned. It was interesting to see sort of what they previewed in that short video, and sort of what they teased as a pretty cool immersive feature when it comes to a TV show. I've never really experienced something like this, where you could um, pause something on Amazon and within, what is it called? X-ray? X-ray. Yes. Where usually they just have cast information and maybe a couple bits of trivia. It's going to be an active component of the fan experience. Yeah, and doing it in an animated medium will give them a lot of flexibility to show, create images, not have to worry about working with special effects or actors in a green screen and all that part, they can do a little bit more, like Star Trek Lower Decks did when they actually showed us cetacean operations. Yes. Um, okay, so I got us off track. We have the two sides of the one power from the source Yes. doing amazing things. Yeah, and there are objects of power that'll pop up a lot, and some that pop up in the first book are these things called Angriel, which are artifacts constructed of whatever. Moraine uses a little figurine carved in ivory. There are rods. My personal favorite is that there's a turtle carved into amber. Like, they have those little bubbles in glass oh, art. Oh, fun. And I just, I'm uh, um, 
halfway through book three and they referenced like this little tiny porcupine carved out of wood and it's like i also love that porcupine like an inch or half an inch long so it can be really big things or small things that have these magical properties yeah so when you hear the word angrill then that tells you it has something to do with the power so an angrill will amplify someone's natural ability and we know that People channel at different strengths that within the power, there are different skills within it, such as healing delving, where you're like diagnosing a problem, earth delving, where you can see or sense what's around iron ore, copper ore, whatever. Um, Nenev's ability to tell the weather comes from it. Um, So there's these passive abilities that are hooked into the power, um, but also just your natural ability to do it can be amplified with an angrill. So you need to have the ability to use the power in order for an angrill to be effective. Right. And the metaphor they use is one person is like a candle, that person with an angrill is like a campfire. Okay. And then that person with a saw angrill is like a bonfire. That it's just an immense amount of power. They're very rare. Um, They do exist. The most powerful were created in the Age of Legends and require keys to operate. And most women in the tower would not be able to work their half without getting burned out. Oh, okay. So there are different risks associated with channeling the power, which is why people go to the tower to learn. Um, Wilders have, I believe, like a one in four chance of surviving the transition on their own. Mm. But through training, through guidance... Then, and a wilder is someone who they just find already using the power, correct. So, and often it manifests itself as like um, the local doctor or medicine woman within a village that she is helping people out, and that's how they notice that hey, maybe it's not just bandages that she's using to make us feel better. They also say that. The power can manifest when people try to compel other people. Compulsion, with a capital C, has been banned by the tower. It's one of the things that you are never supposed to use as an aesodite because it harms the human. Mm. And some of the Forsaken, the villains from the Age of Legends, use that liberally in the worst possible ways. Um, so there's a third artifact of the power called a Tur-Angriel. And this is an interesting development. Like, you can use some without even needing the ability to channel, some that require a person who can just to be around it, or it requires active weavings from a person. Mm. So how do you feel about that as a plot point? Like, is it too much of a, oh, here's this object that will solve all of our problems? I... The concept of them, I don't think so. I think it adds something. It adds an ability to solve problems. But so what I'm reading right now and sort of what you've inferred, you need to know how to use them. And if you don't, there's a big risk associated with it. Yes. And even in either creating them or learning how they're used... Um, there's a fun story where someone tries to figure out how and they act super drunk and they try to pass it off on a cute serving boy pouring wine. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
there are risks of, again, burning out, um, losing your ability to channel forever. Um, and so these Terangrial, I think you're right, they make sense in this world. Like if you come from the Age of Legends where Aesidae are everywhere, they can do these amazing things together, like of course they're going to create little tools, little bits of the power technology to help themselves out. They've got like their floating cars from back then. <laughs> They've got their equivalent of a light bulb. Um, so they're they're handy. And then by the time our story comes around, there are not many of them left. No one really knows what they do or how they were created. The tower has a bunch. Um, the Stone of Terror has a bunch because they were so afraid of the artifacts. They just locked them in storerooms. So you've got some treasures there along with a bunch, it's basically someone's old attic with all these old moldy falling apart things that they th thought had the power, oh, even though they don't. That's fun. Yeah. All right, so what else should we know about going into the series? Part of the settings include this map, like every fantasy series, you get the maps in front of the chapters, so you can actually sort of place where things are. Yes. So there's a lot of act current countries, um, and there's also remnants of them. So in between the Age of Legends and our story, there are some countries like Minetherin and Eridol that were active during the Trolloc Wars, and then just got eventually smashed or time passed mm. there's some countries like caroline that just fall apart and now it's just a big wide open plain one of my favorite characters cat swain comes from there so you hear stories of asda coming from all sorts of backgrounds all countries like it's a very random thing who can channel and she came from like this nowhere village in the caroline grass that's basically the middle of nowhere mm. um and she also has one of my favorite running gags. Um, so one of my favorite Star Trek series has a whole lot of these little jokes they keep talking about or referencing. And with Cad Swain, they're like, oh, you're still alive? No. I thought you died a long time ago. <laughs> That's real catty. <laughs> <laughs> but she just takes everyone back and she's this figure that everyone thought like went off into the sunset and never to be heard from again. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah. She's still around. <laughs> Um, there are different personalities or different fashions are associated with each. So Robert Jordan goes into great detail about some of the garb, some of the accessorizing. Tara Bonners have fails. Um, uh, Ara Fallon weave bells into their hair, which is fun. Yeah. And even in the two rivers, you have a difference in hairstyle between, girls and women yes when you come of age yes there's this right when you are allowed to braid your hair to show that you are an adult like a whole coming of age ceremony so it's a shock when our heroes go out and they're like oh they not everyone does this yeah and th it's just that tiny bit of world building that adds flavor and it's different cultures. I mean, you really have um, different cultures even within technically the same country within this world. So the Two Rivers has the hair braiding thing. They go to a, a what they consider a large city 
and that's not held true. They're still in the same country, technically. But yes, the Queen of Andor would love to think that yes, the two rivers is still a part of her her kingdom. So it's interesting to see how these little tiny aspects make you feel familiar with certain characters in certain situations, and then you get to see the otherness of other cultures. And there's sort of like in Game of Thrones, there's a different culture between the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms. The borderlands, Saldea, Arafel, uh, Kandor, and Shinar, and R.I.P. Melkir, um, they have very strong, very centralized hierarchies. Like there's never any infighting because they need a strong leadership in order to repel the waves of Trollocs that occasionally will come out of the blight. They are constantly on edge. Um, the southern kingdoms have gotten lax. So in Carhian, where Moraine is from, you hear about all these intrigues and drama. And even in Andor, the queen, there's always a queen, but she needs to have the support of the major houses within her kingdom to stay in power. Um, there's a lot more infighting that can happen. And I'm interested to see if they're going to bring in a lot of those political aspects because we haven't seen a whole lot of that hinted at we haven't really seen the kingdoms or anything like that it's more the machinations of the Aes Sedai and everything going on with them Mm -hmm. um but then also the children of the light so it's more factional Based, I feel right now as we're heading into it and as we understand what's going to happen in the first season it's more factions than politics but when we start digging into some of those different governments and we have our characters going around in this larger world it'll be cool to see if they weave that in but I don't want it to skew and be like Game of Thrones volume 2 in terms of political intrigue Right, that doesn't start to kick in until you get the long, detailed slogs in the middle of the series. Although you do get some in the first book once they reach uh, Camelon, Andor's capital city. Mm. So there should be a little bit like, does the queen really have the support of her people? And just the circumstances. Um, it should be a good opportunity for them to show how these supposedly chance encounters sort of are the the functions of this wheel weaving people together like a random decision that is made is a figure of either the main characters who sort of warp reality around them without knowing it without knowing it and it's not something that they can control but people will make choices that they don't necessarily would make in another circumstance because Mm -hmm. that person is around so it's like a like Domino from the X-Men changing the rules of chance. Sure. Um, there's a, a part in one of the books where all the coins land on their sides instead of on a face uh, because of um, Matt or Rand or Perrin. Um, and really, I think there's a case to be made for Nynaeve and Egwene to also um, be Taverin, these characters that bend the world around them. Yeah, and the way that they've been framing some of the promotional stuff is that it's the five of them. Which is great. Like, it yeah. should not just be about those three guys. No. And uh, um, as I'm reading through in these early books, I like reading about the women a whole lot more. 
they're so much more interesting. (laughs) They are. They really are. So I'm really glad with the focus on Moraine within all the promotional materials and having it it really be from her point of view. Um, Even with those flashback scenes and things like that, we've been teased with that it's flashbacks involving her. Yes. I think her and Shiwan's time in the tower together, like, I'd love to have a flashback of the two of them pulling pranks on the mistress of novices in the tower <laughs> um, when they are raised and they take their oaths and there's like a, a tingling, tightening sensation when you take your oath. It was uncomfortable for them because they were still recovering from getting their bottoms hit yeah. for their latest prank. <laughs> um, so some of those backgrounds would be great. Um, hear about some of the inherent abilities that people have. Maureen is great at healing. We'll meet Elada, who has a touch of the foretelling, um, which is sought after. Um, we'll learn about dreaming with a capital D. There's a lot of words that get their cap- letters capitalized because they're so <laughs> important. Delving, dreaming, foretelling. Yeah. So... Uh... Now that we've covered sort of the map and the geography and the magic aspect, yes, what else should we really be prepared to learn more about? One of the things that stands out in the trailers is the design of the costuming, and especially for the ASA that reflects their Aja. So there are seven, some may say eight, Ajas. <laughs> um, no spoilers. No spoilers. Um each has a specific focus, a specific mission, ways that they view and move within the world that they take great pride in. So they talk about yellows and their healing being somewhat prideful. Like they take great pains to be very good at their craft. And along with that comes some amount of pride in their work, which may rub some people the wrong way. And there's a bit of rivalry between the Ajas. Yes. Whoever is raised to Amarillin, that Aja sort of becomes more prominent. So the Reds are real bitter. They had an Amarillin during the Trolloc Wars, I believe. Which is how long before this? Roughly a thousand. Okay. Um... So it was a long time ago. Yeah, kingdoms got smashed. Um, there were monuments, lost monuments to, to battles and victories over the Trollocs to finally halt their advance. Um, the Two Rivers, Minetherin, was a, basically a thorn in the Dark One's side during these wars because they were always ready in the heat of battle to t- help turn the tide, um, drawing eventually the ire of the Dark One and the Shadow Forces. Um, so the Reds. So the Reds. They are bitter from a thousand years ago. Why? Yeah. They, their Amarillin was deposed. Oh. Like, she was not good at her job. <laughs> um, and so they want more political influence, but they just don't have it. One of the things I thought was interesting was that in the trailers, Maureen says, we protect the world, being the Aes Sedai. But really, if she's talking about defending it against the corruption of the male side of the power, the fact that men who channel will eventually go insane, um, harm people around them, possibly break the world again. It's the Reds who stand against that. Hmm. So they are generally feared, even though they're protecting the world from these false dragons or these men who channel. Uh, They are the ones who go out and capture them, gentle them, um, 
And originally, they were working with the men at the beginning when the corruption became a thing. They were trying to figure out how to get around it. Um, but eventually, it turned where their only way to protect was to cut off these men from ever channeling again. Um, so it's interesting for a blue who are more interested in the politics, in causes, for her to say, we protect the world when that's really a red thing, and blues and reds do not get along. Mm. An ally of the blues are the greens, who, a little bit like the yellows, um, have maybe a little bit more pride in what they do. They are there to stand against the forces of darkness. So their leader, all the Ajas have these secret leaders that no one is supposed to know about, but theirs is called the First General. Um, because they're the warriors. Right. They are beloved within the borderlands because they are there to help um, repel... They are there to be the counterstroke to the forsaken, to the people who have given their souls to the shadow um, and channel the power for the forces of darkness. Um, so that's who they are. The whites, browns, and grays don't get a whole lot of love. Um, the whites are all about logic and reason. The grays are all about mediation and diplomacy. So when you do hear from them, they're like... I negotiated this treaty between these two warring countries that finally brought peace. Like, that was their crowning achievement. Mm. And then the Browns are great big nerds, and so to some extent, we love them. Yeah, the descriptions in the book so far that I've read, they love researching and reading and taking deep dives into things. So, um, much like us recording <laughs> a podcast about them, um, they're super relatable for... Just those people who love history, who love figuring out why things happened. So I think I would definitely be a brown if I were an Aes Sedai. They're all about the pursuit of knowledge. Yes. Wherever that may take them. Varen, one of my favorite characters, like doesn't even care that she's getting rained on because she's taking notes with her little pencil because her ink would otherwise smudge. She always has ink on her fingers, sometimes on her face. <laughs> um so those are those are the Ajas, um, how they work within the tower and the machinations. I don't think we'll get for a while, which is fine. Like right now, we just need to know that there are seven of them. Their costumes reflect their Ajas, which is not necessarily true in the book, but it will help us as viewers. Mm, yeah. And the knowledge that they can come from all works, walks of life. Not too many from Amadisia, because that's where the gold cloaks or white cloaks are based, so they have the run of the mill, and they will hunt down anyone who they... Oh. Yeah, since the breaking of the world, they are the reactionary types who sent, who feel that any sort of channeling the power should not be done. They have no right to mess with these forces of creation. They're just going to destroy the world all over again. Um, so when we talk about the breaking of the world, this is when, right after the counterstroke from the shadow... The male half of the tower becomes tainted because that's what Luce Theron uses to lock up the shadow, the Dark One, in the Age of Legends. So there's this corruption that's been seeping over that side of the power. So the men went crazy, um, destroyed, raised land masses, lowered land masses. Um, some sought shelter in the steading with the Ogier, which are these large tree. Well, tr we love them. They're basically gardeners, so hashtag goals. <laughs> um, they have big, expressive eyes, big, expressive ears. They're very peaceful. 
Um, they require a setting for their own peace, like their own well-being. If they are away for too long, it's sort of like a wasting sickness that they get. Mm. Um, but they're not human. They are very large. Um, so some of the more cosmopolitan inns, if you will, will have an ogre-sized bed. Not everyone will. Oh, interesting. And they have a connection to the trees. Like, there were these great groves that were constructed around the great cities. Tarvalon is the only one that has, still has it. All the other cities either got destroyed or they cut down their great groves during urban sprawl. Hmm. There may or may not be a lesson to be learned there. <laughs> but that's who the Ogier are. Um, big points are just that they're not human. They have different connections. And in return for sheltering these men while they were trying to survive, basically, the men who could channel created the ways, this basically the fast travel system between steadings, between major cities. So an Ogier can sort of sense where they are. They have the means to create more gateways if they need to. We never see it used in the books because the ways were created with the male powers. So they've been corrupted along with the male mm, power. Okay. So it's not something that there is still currently used, but you get these wonderful descriptions of sunny skies, orchards on these islands where these different bridges would converge as you're fast traveling from one point in the map to the other. Um, and it's that's all gone now because of the corruption. And I think... I think that covers the basics for okay. world building. There's a there's a lot going yes. on. That's why we wanted to do this episode to help introduce people to some of the concepts or even just talk about the things that we love. Um, like yeah. I love the Ogier. I love Varen. I love the <laughs> machinations between the Ajas. And hearing what they think of themselves. Like Alana is a green and the book describes her speaking with great pride in the fact that her Aja is going to be the one that helps repel the shadow during the last battle. Mm. Yeah. So um, everyone, if you aren't already follow us on Instagram, we're at two rivers, two takes our next milestone. I mean, right now we are a week out from the series premiering on Amazon, which is so exciting. It's so exciting. And it seems like they are really rolling out new bits. Just like today's bit was, the special features that you can access. Mm -hmm. I feel they're throwing more and more things out now that we're getting closer, trying to build up this good head of steam heading into the series. And I think they'll pull out more stuff to surprise us. And our next milestone is next Monday. We will be at one of the fan screenings. Um, They just released more tickets. So if you're in one of the markets where they are releasing these tickets, there is... Um, L.A., Chicago, D.C., New York, um, and I feel like four or five others. Check out the social media for the Wheel of Time to see if there are tickets available. If you're nearby, it might be really cool to see this stuff on the big screen and see it in advance of the rest of the world. Um, For those of you who have to wait, um, I totally feel you because the first three episodes are being released next Friday. We're only seeing the first two in the theater. And we are going to have thoughts and feelings and are open to, and please share your thoughts and feelings as you see them too. We'd love to hear them. We'd love to hear what you're most excited about for this series, what you think they do a really good job of, uh, what are some of the things that you just love in and of themselves, the moments, the characters. 
Yeah, let us know. We want to hear from you. Um, Engage in the conversation over on Instagram. Let's geek out together, everyone. So until we chat with you next week, have a great week. Study up and start digging into things, but not too far. Don't spoil yourself on that Wikipedia.